Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. We'll read those verses in just a moment. Well, I hope you all had a, th- a f- fantastic Thanksgiving. I know we sure did. We had all of our uh, three sons with us. Uh, our two older sons are married, and their wives came. And then our seven, that's right, seven grandchildren. So it was seven adults and seven grandchildren. It's an e- even uh, thing there. And we had just a wonderful time. We ate well, as, of course. And, uh, but it was great to have family around. Did anybody go out and do any combat shopping on uh, Friday morning? Yes, a few of you. All right, good for you. I used to be more into that. I, I since online shopping has really come into vogue, I, uh, I probably do most of my shopping from there now because uh, just, well, it's mostly the cold. I don't mind the crowds, but it's the cold I don't really care for. I used to go stand out at like 4.30 in the morning in front of Staples for a 6 o'clock opening to get a, a computer. Ooh. The Thanksgiving holiday is past now, I know, but, and I think it's I think personally it's fantastic that we uh, as Americans have this holiday that is set apart for giving thanks to God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And and I think uh, unlike maybe many of our other holidays which have gotten so corrupted by things, you know what I mean, they've just become, uh, but Thanksgiving it seems at least has retained a lot of its original intent and you hear about people, you know, even people that don't know God are talking about being thankful and how good that is and, uh, you know, but, but, you know, Christmas has kind of been corrupted by Santa Claus. I'm not saying Santa's evil, I'm just saying, you know, it's all, it tends to be all about Santa and giving gifts and, and losing the me- original meaning of Christmas. Easter is a lot about eggs and bunnies and all, you know, and all that. And, and the turkey tries to steal the show on Thanksgiving, but but, but we just thank God and then we eat him. And so that's the end of that, you know. It doesn't get much glory for the turkey. Um, by the way, did you hear about the turkey farmer whose, whose family loved the legs a lot? They all loved legs. And, of course, there was only two and his family was quite large. And so, so, uh, so he decided to try to breed his own kind of turkey that would have six legs total. And he, he, was, he was successful at it. He was actually able to breed a turkey with six legs. And uh, one of his friends asked him, so how, did, how was that turkey for Thanksgiving? He says, I don't know. I couldn't catch it. I actually want to talk uh, not about turkey today, uh, but I want to talk about our hearts and not the one that's pumping blood in our chest, as important as that physical feature is. I want to talk about the core of who we are, the inside of us. And my title today is this, A Thankful Heart, or my subtitle, if you will, is Better to Have Gratitude Than a Grr Attitude. Yes, yes. All right. Let's read Colossians 3, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Could we all read that phrase together? Do it with me. Go. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let's say those words. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Let's say those last five words with gratitude. Ready? Go. With gratitude in your hearts. And then another verse from, I want to show you from the New King James Version. We'll put it on the screen here. From Hebrews 13, verse 15, 16 says, Therefore, by him, speaking of Christ, let us continually, say continually, 
continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Continually giving thanks. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, our gathering today and just the, uh, God, I'm just going to say it. I think it's been fun already, and that's a good thing. I think you're into fun, and I think we've had a fun service already. I think we've experienced uh, joy through worship and from talking to each other, and yes, there have been some prayer requests that are difficult, and we're working through those, but Lord, we know you're a God who loves us and has good things for us, so we want to thank you first and foremost, as these scriptures have reminded us to do, and Lord, as we get into this talk today about our hearts and and, and and just help each one of us to examine ourselves carefully to see where we are. And if there's an adjustment that needs to be made, we open ourselves to it. If you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? Amen. amen. All right. So uh, about a week ago, I think it was, maybe uh, eight days ago, Ron and I were driving to a store, and we were coming down Eastmont Avenue, and we came to a four-way stop sign down there that's the blinking one, I think, at 5th and uh, Eastmont. And so there were about four or five cars that showed up simultaneously at the, the stoplight. Don't you hate that? Like, like let's figure this out. And, so, uh, and what bugs me so much is how people I know should be going don't go, Right? <laughs> Because I know they were there ahead of me, but they're not moving. And that's kind of the situation we were in. And there was a car that, was in the tur- that had come, actually come first and was turning in front of me. But after that car went by, I was pretty sure the guy to my, to my left should have been next, but he was just sitting there. So I decided, hey, what the heck? Well, wouldn't you know it, 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 at the exact same time, we both start going toward the intersection. Oh, I just gassed and went on through. Well, this person just absolutely got into their horn and just laid on their horn and just held it down. And we're just driving away, and I was actually accelerating pretty quickly just to get out of the way. And I'm now, I'm now two blocks away, and we can still hear the horn in the distance. <laughs> and Ron and I, all you could do at that moment is just laugh a little bit, you know, like we're just kind of chuckling a little bit and uh, thinking about that because they just were so long on the horn. Now, first of all, I just want to say if, if that was one of you, I apologize for getting in your way. But it made me think and it made me wonder what was going on in that person's or what was so wrong in that person's life? And, and how angry did you have to be? I can understand hitting the horn. I may have been at fault. I, I, and Rhonda probably would say I was, you know, just, <laughs> just saying probably I was, you know. But, but nevertheless, what is going on in someone's heart that they're so angry that they would react that way at a moment like that? And, I, and, and what is going on in people's lives? And, and, uh, and I don't mind, again, taking the blame for that, but I'm just saying I'm, I am concerned for people who lose their minds over something where someone else maybe makes a mistake. Okay? And I'm willing to admit my mistake, and if I could go back, I'd say, you know, of course, I was, I was expecting you to go first. I think you were there first. Go ahead. And if I could go to that person now and apologize, I certainly would. That's not anything where I was trying to be mean, but I'm worried about the heart condition of us as human beings. And I want us to examine our own hearts today. So first, let me talk about this today, the condition of our heart. The condition of our heart. It's easy, I think, for us to get caught up in a performance mentality with God, don't you think? In other words, we feel like a lot of times we have to meet a certain standard or God's going to be displeased and unhappy with us. And so what we do is we think in our minds, oh, if I go to church and I maybe help out a little here or there or put a little money in the salvation army bucket 
and, and, and maybe even give a little money in the offering at church. If I do all these things, if I do things, I will please God and we'll be okay. And, I, and, that, and we think that makes us okay in our hearts because we're doing these outward kinds of things. And by the way, I just want to sh- tell you to, that you should know, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, somebody really needs to hear this today. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, God is, and, and listen, He has to be pleased with you. He, he, if He was not pleased with you, it would mean He was displeased with His Son, and He is not. So you, I don't know who you are today, but I just felt like in that moment that somebody's sitting here thinking, I don't think God's very pleased. Listen, that doesn't mean all your actions line up with where they should be. And God isn't concerned about your actions because it makes him angry toward you. He's concerned about your actions because of what it's doing to your life. Okay? So, so just get that into your, just get into your heart that God's got a big old smile on his face when he looks at you. It's just like, like Rhonda and I felt when our kids and the grandkids came through the door for Thanksgiving. That's how God is every time you walk into his presence. He's full of smiles and hugs and he just loves you. Trust me. That's God's heart for you. I was talking to Kelly here and we, we have these good conversations every once in a while and, and I don't exactly remember right now, if I thought about it I could probably remember, but what the topic was, but uh, he brought up a verse of scripture and uh, rightfully so uh, reminded me of it and he said, uh, Jeremiah seventeen nine says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it? That's a powerful verse to recognize and realize in our lives. It's important for us to understand something about the heart, that it is deceitful. It's, it, and it really is desperately deceitful toward us. And there's something in our culture, uh, and I don't know if this is true of all cultures, but I know it's true in American culture, but it beats this drum in, into our heads uh, through the media and through the vain philosophies of our age. And they say these words, listen, and, and I don't mean to get on your case if you use these words, but I just want to help correct a little thinking that might be amiss in us. But they'll say these simple words and think they are being Confucius when they say it. And they say, follow your heart. Have you heard that before? Follow your heart. And, 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 uh, or another, word, another way they might say it is, be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. And the idea is always that we should follow our own, uh, our own, put our own selves first. Rhonda and I were w- watching a Hallmark movie, which we do almost every day through the holiday season. <laughs> hey, listen, men, don't judge me, okay? Now, the truth is, every Hallmark movie is exactly the same. No, they are. No, there's no twists and turns. It's pretty simple. And uh, boy meets girl, there's something bad that happens, you know, like seven-eighths of the way through the movie. It all gets corrected, and then it ends with a kiss. And I'm, I don't care if you judge it. You can judge me if you want, but I love romantic movies. I, I don't have any problem. So that's, that, that's it. I don't mind. I'm saying it. But we're watching one the other day, and, uh, and they said every day. <laughs> we just watched one last night. So anyway... But there was a line in the, in the show that said, our heart always tells us what to do. Now, that actually has some truth in it. But it isn't always telling us what God wants us to do. I got a fortune cookie a while back from Panda Express. Just being real here. And this is what it said. Follow your heart. It will never be wrong. Now, do you want to get your truth from a Panda Express fortune cookie? Or perhaps from the Word of God. What do you think? 
Let's go with what the Word has to say, which says that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? They say, follow your heart, but God says our hearts are deceitful. So my advice, and I could probably stop my sermon right here, and you'd go home with something you could really use for the rest of your life, is don't follow your heart, follow Jesus. Don't follow your heart, follow Jesus. But I'm going to preach some more if you don't mind. Luke 17, 26, well, even if you do, I'm going to preach. So Luke 17, 26, Jesus is re rehearsing some lessons from history. He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Watch this. People were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. And it was the same in the days of Lot. And speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah, he says, people were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So, you know, we read that and we go, uh, we look at the time of Noah and we go, oh, they were, they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. And, and you're trying to think, we're doing that stuff, aren't we? Right? Anybody eating recently? Pretty sure. Drinking? Right? I'm not talking alcohol, just drink, drinking. Okay. Uh, you know, or so people get married and they're being given in marriage. So you think, well, wait a minute. That's normal stuff, isn't it? And those are the very things we're doing right now. And, and it says that the people at the time of the flood were doing normal things and not expecting anything to go wrong or anything to be different. And then the flood came. And Jesus goes on, he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting. And, and, and you're going, oh, those awful... Wait a minute. That's the stuff we're doing. So what's the deal? The deal is, is in the midst of everyday kind of activities, judgment fell on these people. But the key is actually found in Genesis 6-5. And this is, what, what, this is the problem, if you want to just follow along my train of thought here. In Genesis 6-5, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And watch, this is where it comes in. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. See, they were doing normal everyday stuff, but God wasn't looking at the normal outside everyday stuff. He was looking deeper into their hearts and saying, Your hearts are corrupt all the time. Every inclination of your heart is corrupt. And so judgment had to fall. And so we can even do the church thing. I'm just being real today, okay? We can even do the church thing, but God is looking deeper than the surface. He's looking at every individual human heart. He isn't impressed that you showed up to church today. He's impressed by what's going on on the guts and in the inside of you. That's what he's looking for. Now, if the guts and the inside of you are on the right track, coming to church will just be an outward flow of the, the good that God's already done in you. Do you. Does that make sense? We're getting the cart before the horse here, thinking it's the other way around. The religious people of Jesus' day were called the Pharisees. How many have heard of Pharisees before, right? And, uh, and the Pharisees, now in our time when we hear the word Pharisee, we think negatively about that term. In fact, we have a term we use today called Pharisaical, which means somebody that's uh, self-righteous or hypocritical in some way, correct? 
So, but, in, but I just want you to understand, you always have to read the Bible and the stories of the Bible and try to put yourself in the shoes of the people at that time. You need to understand that the Pharisees of that time were highly regarded people. They were like, um, I don't even know what to use in our culture. I, would have, I was about to say the pastors of our culture, but that, that has even gotten a negative connotation, don't you think, in our society? People, I don't know, there's just no group of people that is seen as, as highly regarded anymore, it just seems to me. Um, so, so but, but if you could just imagine, the people of the day would have saw the Pharisees as people who obeyed the law fully. They, they were very uh, pious in the best sense. They were very religious in the best sense. They were doing uh, externally, you would be very hard-pressed to find them messing up. They followed the letter of the law exactly and did extremely well at it. Even things that God hadn't made law, they were making sure they were dotting all their uh, uh, I's and crossing all their T's. And Jesus, used, in the King James, it uses the word a jot and a tittle. Those were from the Greek or the Hebrew language, the little tiny marks that are made. They, they weren't missing any of those. They weren't missing anything. But then Jesus comes along and he says things like this, Matthew 23, 23. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. That had to have hit them so hard. People hearing that at that time must have thought, that, I'm not expecting to hear that from Jesus because we regard these people so highly. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, and when you have ne- but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. I mean, there's some hyperbole for you, right? I mean, like, you're straining out a gnat, but you are ingesting a massive animal in, in a spiritual way, in a heart way. So, so this verse is telling us that they were so careful to give the 10% to God, the tithe, that they were even, whenever they would get spices, okay, that, that they would take a tenth of those spices and give those as well. They were going down to the finest little detail to make sure that every T was crossed and every I was dotted. And the outward appearance, they were doing all these things, but, the, the, but they were neglecting the more weighty things, the things that God really wanted them to understand, the things that God is concerned with. Now, of course, the, the tithing is good, but that has to flow out of a heart that says, it's all God's, and he says give 10. That's an easy thing for me to do. I have no problem with that because my heart is just, my heart is just full. And in fact, if God were to just tell me right now, empty your bank account, give it all to me, I would have no problem. Would you have a problem with that? You would, you would want to check in with God to make sure. It, yeah, but, but if God spoke to us, let me put it that way, as a couple, and to do something like that, we would have no problem doing that because our heart is so trusting of God. So, so this is what I'm talking about. And so Jesus is, is talking about, and so he goes further in verse 25. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup. Now he's getting really real about this. And the dish. But inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup, and then the outside also will be clean. So, so again, it's, this is, is a, pic, a word picture here of this idea that, man, you look at that cup, you take it down off the shelf, you think, man, that's great, and then you take a look inside, and, oh, I would never drink out of that. But that's exactly what was going on. And then he continues, he goes even further. I mean, you'd think he's had enough by now, but he really went after these guys. Verse 27, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. 
And this is just, this is really rough. You are like whitewashed tombs. Whitewash is basically like painted, painted on the outside. And he says, you look beautiful on the outside, but watch these words here. But on the inside, you're full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear as people, uh, to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're filled of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now, you say, well, that's a them. This kind of talk should concern all of us. This should concern all of us, that we would ever get to a place where we could be doing the outside thing and looking like we're doing great and showing up and doing all our stuff, but we know down deep inside there's just corruption and wickedness and stuff in our hearts that needs to be dealt with. How many, how many times do we hear a story about, and sometimes you think, oh, that person was a psycho. I always knew they were a psycho. But you also hear these stories that, that somebody was a neighbor, they were normal on the outside, you thought, and then they go do some crazy thing, some violent act or whatever, and, and the people, they interview neighbors, and they say, and they always say, I never would have guessed it. I ne-. And that's what I'm talking about here. The kind of people who are just, they're, they're not living on the outside what's really going on the inside. You can't see it. You can't see what's going on. So I want to ask us to, to look again at the condition of our own hearts, and I want to ask each of you to examine your heart and say, where is my heart today? What is the condition of my heart? And then to, to do that, we might have to evaluate our hearts, and we have to go into a place where we start thinking things through and thinking, okay, where am I at? So the second thing is evaluating the heart. From Proverbs 4.23 the wisdom of Psalm, he says, above all else, watch this, above all else, above all else, guard your heart. Like, A, number one, top of the list, the most important thing you and I can ever do is guard our hearts. And then he goes on, he says, for everything you do flows from it. Isn't that what I've just been saying? Like, you don't have to worry about obeying God if your heart is right. You don't have to worry about whether I'm going to give money or whether I'm going to do this or that. All that stuff just flows out of being in a good place in your heart. One of the best ways to evaluate our hearts, honestly, is to check on what's coming out of our mouths. Jesus said it this way from Matthew 15, 18. He said, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come, here they are, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Now, I'm sure we've all had these moments where we would come into our house, say the end of a day, we've been gone all day, and with one sniff, you know something's wrong in your house. Anybody besides me, are we the only ones? So what you're saying is all of you take your trash out every single day and never ever have had a bad smell in your house, huh? Impressive. We're just slouches and slobs in the Damari household. Truthfully, it doesn't happen that often, but once in a while, you've thrown something away, you didn't give much thought to it, it sat there a while, and now you've been gone all day on a hot summer day, and you come back, and as soon as you walk in the house, you go, oh my goodness, that is not right. I don't want that smell in my house. And, and the funny thing was, it's, you think, well, maybe that must have happened while I was gone, but the other thought that goes through my head is, it probably stunk when I left, but I got used to it over time, you know what I'm saying? And you just do, and then you come, and you get assaulted with the smell later. So, but either way, it has to be dealt with, would you agree? It's time to get it out, to, time to deal with it. When you, can, you can tell when there's something coming out, whether it's coming out of our mouths or when we smell a smell, we think it's got to be dealt with. Years ago, I, had, I, had a, well, I have a friend now, he's still my friend, but he, he, uh, he walked into his house, or he was in his house, excuse me, and he, 
he smelled spoiled milk. He just was, you know, he knew it was the smell of milk that was spoiled. And so he began to do a, a search and destroy, you know, path through his house. He's looking in the trash. He's taking the trash out. He comes back and it still smells bad. He's looking through the refrigerator, throwing out any dairy products that appear to be outdated. He's going through, he's thinking, he had two little kids at the time. He was looking in the couch cushions. He's looking everywhere for a turned over cup or any kind of evidence that milk had been spilled someplace. And that's a bad smell, don't you know? And this went on for quite some time. He was complaining about it. His wife was like, I don't smell it. I don't know what's wrong with you. It's, you know, uh, I don't know what to do. He's almost kind of blaming her, you know, and she's getting all upset with him. And as time went on, this went on a little longer during the day. And after a while, he began to realize that earlier in the day, he had uh, taken a glass of milk and he had a rather big mustache. And yeah, true, true story. And when he had drunk the milk, it kind of had gotten onto his mustache a little bit. And so guess what? He was carrying that smell everywhere he went. It didn't matter where he went in the house. He was smelling spoiled milk. That's gross. That's disgusting. But I want to say, in the same way, we go around with a bad attitude and complain about this and that. Everything stinks to us. This room stinks. The hallway stinks. Everywhere I go, the whole world stinks. Sometimes the stink is closer than you think. That's right. It's like the story of a man from Budapest. He goes to a rabbi, complains that life is unbearable. There are nine of us. We all live in one house. There's, it just, it, it's not good in there. It smells bad. It's just, everything's bad. There's so many people. It's crowded. The rabbi looks at him and says, I've got some advice for you. You have to do what I tell you. He says, I'll do anything. He says, take your goat and bring your goat into your house with you. And the guy says, you've got to be kidding me. He says, no, do what I tell you to do. So the, the guy goes, he grabs his goat, and for a solid week, he brings that goat into the house with him. A week later, he goes back to see, and the rabbi said, after a week, come back and see me. Comes back, and the rabbi said, how are things now? He says, it is so miserable. The stench is unbelievable. That goat is stinky, is smelly. Conditions are horrible. The rabbi says, go home and take the goat and put it back outside. And, uh, and then come and see me in a week. So he takes the goat out. And then a week later, the guy comes back, and he, the rabbi says, how are things for you now? And he says, things are wonderful. It's amazing. There's only nine of us in the house. It's amazing. <laughs> you see, a lot of times it's the perspective that we have that makes a difference on whether things are good or not. And it's because our hearts are not right oftentimes. Instead of living with gratitude, we're living with a gratitude. We're always looking for something to complain about. Listen, how do I know this is true? I'm on Facebook. Yeah. I see your, I see your griping and complaining all the time. Knock it off. I've said this before. I wish I could offer a, a, a site called Nicebook. And the only thing you can put on there are pictures of your puppies, your kids doing cute things, our granddaughter laughing her head off. I wish I had... I should have put that up there for you guys to see. That would have been cute. Anyway, maybe it's only cute to us, but I, I thought it was pretty cute. So, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like, let's get some good attitude out there instead of that grr attitude. Sometimes we want to spray air freshener spiritually to mask the stench. God can sniff it out. And he tells us to deal with... with what's wrong in our hearts and get it dealt with. Deal with it. Because out of the mouth, or out of the heart, the mouth will speak and spew all kinds of stuff. 
Being thankful people is incredibly important. You know, we make a mistake thinking, oh, Thanksgiving, I'll be thankful, but the rest of the year, I'm going to be just mean. But here's some reasons besides the Word of God to be thankful. Dr. Martin Seligman did a study of 411 people that performed a variety of tasks to boost happiness levels. In one task, participants were asked to write thank you letters to people from their past and then hand deliver them. So simply, he said, just, just write a thank you letter to someone, but make sure you hand deliver it. And, and it, the folks that com- completed that task continued to have a happier attitude a month later from writing one thank you note to somebody to say thank you for being decent to me. Thank you for blessing me in some way or another. Another doctor, uh, Robert Ed Emmons from the University of California, uh, he found that people who say thank you and express gratitude get a pervasive and long-lasting mood boost. He reports that regular grateful thinking, or th- uh, yeah, thanking, excuse me, can increase happiness by as much as 25%. You're just going to be a lot happier if you just start saying thank you all the time. Our little grandson Emerson, he's just, uh, is he three? Three, yeah. I lose track, there's seven of them. But anyway, he's three, and he, he, he has just been learning his manners so well. And so many times I would give him something that he had asked for, and he would just, in the cutest little voice, say, thank you, Papa. And I'm like, oh, man, you melted my heart. But, the, but that's what makes a happy kid. Teach your kids to say thank you. Teach people to have a good attitude and, a, and, a, and to have gratitude rather than a grr attitude. If we don't evaluate ourselves then instead of thanksgiving, we will have ingratitude. Worship team, come on back up. So there's a story in Luke chapter 17 that Jesus tell, or or, or that is told about Jesus. And he's traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he's traveling along and going, going into a village, there were 10 men who had leprosy, which is an incurable disease. And they came up to him at a distance and called out to him, uh, Jesus, heal us. Jesus, heal us. And so, so uh, they, they asked for pity. And when, when uh, he saw them, he said, uh, immediately after they asked for pity, he said, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they, it says, and as they went, I love that, as they went, they were healed. So they, they had faith to believe the words of Jesus simply. You know, he didn't really pray a prayer over them or anything. He just said, go and show yourself to the priest. They listened to the word of Jesus or the word of God and obeyed that word and began walking. And as they did, I don't know how it went, but I imagine one guy looked down at some leprosy that was on his hand and just watched it vanish and his hand turned normally. Guys! And pretty soon they're looking at each other and watching spots disappear. And they're not getting very far before every single one of them. See, showing yourself to the priest was was what you did when you were cleansed and when you were clean. And on the way, they were being cleansed. And all ten of them were walking along, and all of a sudden, one guy just stopped short, and the other nine keep walking. I don't know if they looked back to see him or wonder. I don't know if they missed him at all. Maybe they were so excited. But he just stopped for a moment, saw his friends walking away, and turned around and saw Jesus. He says, no way. (laughs) No way am I going to keep walking this way. I know he said, go show myself to the priest, but there's something more important right now than that, and i got to go back and say thank you. And that's exactly what he did. He walked back to Jesus. He walked back over here. He said, Jesus, thank you. He fell at his feet and thanked him for, for this healing miracle. And so, so Jesus says to him in that moment, he says, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Isn't that interesting? Like he didn't say, come over here and thank me first and then go show yourself to the priest. But Jesus is dismayed that the other nine have not come to thank. And so, 
So he, he said, has no one returned to give praise except this foreigner? And then he said to him, said to the, the man, he said, watch this, rise and go, your faith has made you well. This is interesting. Because the word well is different than the word cleansed. They were cleansed on the way. They were clean. Physically, they were clean and good to go. But now that this one has returned, he says, your faith has made you well. And that's a very different word in the Greek. The one just has to do with a physical sense of being clean in a Levitical or a religious sense. And that's great. All ten of them got that. But the one who came back to express thanks stopped to remember the God from whom all blessings flow. And he goes to Jesus, throws himself at his feet, and then Jesus says, your faith has made you well. This word does not mean just to be cleansed, but it means to save. You, in, in other words, he's not just receiving healing for the temporary nature of leprosy on his body, but he is actually receiving eternal life that lasts forever. That's the indication. You're being saved in this moment because you came back and thanked me. Your faith, your faith, you recognize me as who I am. And something about that thankful moment brings him to Christ. It could be translated, your faith has saved you. Physical healing is a great blessing, but it ends at death, don't you know? While the blessing of eternal life lasts forever. That's what God's after in every single person. Practicing gratitude is challenging because we live in a culture bombarding us with advertising designed to focus on what we don't have. Do you understand what I'm saying there? It, do you understand that all advertising is focusing us to look at things that we don't have and make us think that's what we need? So the Christmas season now upon us. And I'm going to say there's no reason not to enjoy and to celebrate with all the traditions and family and do all that stuff. But as we're going along, let's not, be thanks let's not have Thanksgiving be a one-day event that's gone now. But let that be the course of our lives as we make our way, not only through December, but into our new year ahead. That we are thankful, thankful people, a people of gratitude. Let's remember to give praise to God every single day for all He's done. Amen? Thank you for listening to Praise Center's Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.